welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, hi, my name is Jean. I'm a sexaholic calling from Ohio. Uh, I'm going to start with the serenity prayer, and then I'm going to say the, the full version of the serenity prayer after we read the initial one. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you'll make all things right if I surrender my will um, to your will. That, so that I may be uh, reasonably happy in this life and, and supremely happy with you in the next. Okay, kind of nervous. I've, I've never spoken on a Zoom meeting before, so <laughs> be patient with me. But um, I'll, I'll just to give a little background about myself and then get into the topic. Um, but uh, I... I started acting out, out out at the age of six or seven when I found my parents' pornography. Um, I immediately got addicted to my mother's and my father's pornography. Um, but as a child, I looked at them more, not in a lustful way, I saw them more as like gods. Um, they were my idols. Um, I was also sexually abused as a child, but I didn't remember that until um, probably... 12 or 13 years ago. Um, but I think the main thing with my addiction is that because of the abuse, um, I always associated love with love with, with abuse. Um, abuse was love. Any attention was better. No, any attention was better than no attention at all. Um, when, uh, when I went to college, I decided to um, go to a small Catholic college because I thought I would be safe there. It was really, I was really shy. It was really hard for me to connect with anybody. Um, you know, but it doesn't matter where you are. Um, bad things can happen anywhere. Because my freshman year in college, uh, you know, I was raped by a man I knew, a date rape. And... Um, and he told me that he loved me, you know, so I'm like, so, uh, so I really believe that abuse was love. Um, but the after effects of that was worse than the initial event because I, I was humiliated, harassed, told, told that it was my fault, you know, that I was a slut. Um, that doesn't happen at Christian colleges. Um, all my friends turned their back on me. Um, my best friend tape recorded the conversation and played it back to a room of 20 plus people and they all laughed at me. 
Um, that's when, that's when I started, I, I'm an alcoholic also. That's when I started the drink. Um, I do believe when I, when I started drinking that it, kept, it did keep me alive. It was my only way to cope. I isolated. Um, I drank and I, and I know I probably would have put, tried to kill myself or, you know, commit myself to a hospital. Um, and there were, there were two attempted rapes after that too. The second guy told me he loved me too and stalked me, harassed me, you know? So, um, I never, after that point, I didn't trust men. I thought all men were, were jerks and I didn't trust women either. Cause my, my self-called friends at the Christian college turned their back on me and blamed me. Um, I transferred to a larger college after that. Um, after I told my parents, they had to go to a different different school. Um, but I, I wanted to prove that the rape didn't define me. Um, so that's when I started acting out sexually. Um, you know, um, what was I going to say? I was so scared to be alone. I just rushed from one relationship to the next. Uh, I didn't care how he treated me. Uh, you know, I thought my identity was a man. And I always, I always cheated on the men I was with, too. And it wasn't like it was, um, you know, I thought about it beforehand. I think it was because I'm a love cripple. And I believe that um, I wasn't worthy of love. That how could how could somebody love somebody like me? Uh, and I was in a lot of abusive relationships. Uh, one of the men I broke up with in college, he stalked me, and he threatened to kill my sister. Um, you know, but in each and each um, relationship got worse in terms of the abuse. Um, I also got addicted to internet porn and adult chat rooms. Um, I would I would chat online with men, you know, from all over the world. I, like I'd have an essay blackout. The next thing I knew, it was like let's say I started at seven p.m. Next thing I know, it's three in the morning, and I have to get up for work in a couple hours. Uh, but I didn't care. I just had to get my fix. Um. Let's see what else. When, 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 when one of my exes broke up with, well, actually, my, my one ex, he asked me to marry him. And I said, no. It was one of my moment of clarity. I, I turned on two marriage proposals in my 20s. I think I, uh, like, I knew that I wouldn't change, that he wouldn't change. I didn't have the illusion or fantasy that marriage would change me or it would hit him. I know I would be miserable. I would cheat on him and it would end in divorce. So I've never been married, but I'm, I'm grateful for that now. But um, after I ended it with him, you know, that's when I just went off the deep end with my sex addiction. I had one night stands, met strangers online. I didn't care about my safety. Um, and that's when I met my, my recent ex-boyfriend who was like, extremely abusive um, and dominating. 
And I tried, I tried, I tried like seven years to end it with him. And maybe I would do it for a month or two, but I'd go back because I would have memories of the abuse would come back to me from childhood. Um, and my first spiritual awakening was in around May or June of 2005. Um, when my ex broke up with me, I was suicidal. I was drinking. I just wanted to die. I was crying for days. I didn't eat. And then finally I said, God, please help me. And then it's like immediately it came to me, you're a sex addict. I'm like, what? I didn't even know that existed. I mean, I knew about alcoholics and drug addicts, but not sex addicts. And when I looked it up online, you know, I knew that God gave me the answer. Um, before coming into SA, I was um, in SLA for five years, um, but I couldn't get sober. I needed the strict bottom lines of SA. Um, but I, I also had to deal with my abuse issues in childhood. I was going to counseling and, and going to 12-step meetings for incest survivors. Um, and I did have, like, technically I was, like, a year sober but a dry drunk. Um, I wasn't really working the steps. But I didn't see the, the um, effects, the negative effects that flirting had. Um, I know for me, I'm, I'm powerless over flirting. For me, it's not innocent. And I, I thought I, I was going to AA meetings at the time. I wasn't really going for recovery. I was just going to, to flirt with men. And, of course, the men I attracted were abusive. And I thought that it, this one man in AA, I thought that I loved him. But he, he humiliated me. And um, he ended up marrying another woman in AA. And that's when I like just the fears of abandonment and rejection came up. I thought I was less than, I was suicidal. Um, I relapsed with drinking and with, I went back to my ex. Um, for the first time I did drugs. I never thought that was possible, but um, it was, I just, I couldn't deal with reality. And not just what happened in, in AA, just everything in life in general with my father and with other men in the past that, that abused me. And a few months before I came into SA, my ex tried to kill me and he physically assaulted me. And um, I thought I deserved it somehow that if he killed me, that would be okay. But it was, um, but it was that, that the pain that brought me into SA, you know, uh, when I came to my first SA meeting in September of, of 2010, I, I didn't have any hope. I hit my rock bottom. Uh, I didn't think there was any way for me to be sober. I thought I would die in this addiction or I would, I, or I would kill myself. Um, but SA made me realize there's another way of life. Um, you know, after being sober for 11 years, um, I, I can say that even though my, my childhood and my acting out was painful, it brought me to SA. Um, you know, there's this part in the white book uh, to the newcomer. It says, we don't even claim that sexual sobriety will make you feel better immediately. We, like other addicts, can go through withdrawal symptoms when we, when we give up our drug. 
Nevertheless, in spite of the questions, struggles, and confusion that we have gone through, we found that sexual sobriety is, is truly the key to a happy and joyous freedom we would otherwise never know. That's why we keep coming back to SA. Um, you know, of course, I, I didn't feel better immediately. I, I went through probably nine months to a year of withdrawal. Um, I was going through physical pain on a daily basis. Um, I was sober probably six months. And, and a man in AA, you know, he he wanted to have sex with me. And even though I was attracted to him, I pulled away and I said, no, my, my sexual sobriety is more important than being with you. And I couldn't believe I said that because I never felt that way before. <laughs> you know, and then there was another time shortly afterwards that I, I, I turned down meeting someone I used to be with. Um, I realized I had to put myself first. Um, the codependency tied in because I, I felt guilty ending it with my ex-boyfriend and also the men that I, uh, that I was with. But I realized I had to put myself first, even if it's painful. Um, I was also going to like therapy, um, intense therapy for childhood abuse. And I, I started going to a 12-step program for trauma and codependency. And I needed to do that too. I needed to look, look um, the, the acting out is just a symptom of my addiction, you know, because I'm an addict in all areas of my life. Um, but uh yeah, but I am grateful for the the pain that I went through. You know, it brought me closer to God. Um, it brings me back to reality. You know, sometimes I think, like, of course, reality, like, you wish everything would be great, wonderful all the time. But, you know, but as it says, sexual sobriety doesn't make you feel better immediately. But you get to know yourself better. You pray to God, you go to meetings, you reach out for help. Um, and even in sobriety, I had painful experiences. You know, um, I was like a year and a half sober and I lost a high paying job, you know, but it, but I'm a, I'm a workaholic also. So I saw it as like, this is horrible. This is the most horrible thing that's happened. But in reality, it wasn't. My, my bosses were extremely abusive. Um, every day I was uh, triggered to act out or drink and I was depressed, you know, so God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I wouldn't have left the job my, on my own, you know, and about a year after that, I lost my home that I lived in for, for 13 or 14 years. And I had to move back home with my parents. And, that, you know, that was another painful experience because when I came into SA up until that point, I had a huge resentment at my parents, especially my father. I couldn't forgive them. I thought I'd rather be um, homeless than live with them. Um, you know, but working, the, but my sponsor in SA, he told me to go to, to meetings every day, which I did. Uh, and I worked on my trauma issues. And I could say for the most part, I've forgiven my parents. I'm actually grateful that I live with them today. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that was possible years ago. I, I stay focused on the present moment, what they do for me today. So, um, and I realized I had to forgive myself too, you know, for even all the abusive relationships I was in, in the past. And I realized like I've been single for the past 11 years, but I'm grateful for that now. 
I still, I've still attracted in the past years, like abusive or narcissistic men or unavailable men. And I know I attract unavailable men because I'm emotionally unavailable also. I used to believe that I was a victim of my addiction, but in reality, yeah, I was a victim at times, but I was also a perpetrator. Um, so let's see. And then also some other painful experiences about two, two and a half years ago, I had some, I had health problems. Um, I woke up one day and my eye is swollen and it wouldn't go away. And I didn't know what was wrong and none of the doctors knew what was wrong. And it made me really self-conscious about my looks. Like people are going to judge me somehow because of how I look. Um, I did find out later that it was an autoimmune disease. I had to have uh, two eyelid surgeries. Um, so, and it's still not 100% yet, but it's a lot, probably 90% better than it used to be. Um, and I was probably almost five years sober and an ex-boyfriend contacted me from 25 years ago. And I was so tempted to act out. Um, and I, and I, really, I really assumed I was going to lose my sobriety. But after doing stop writing, I realized I hadn't forgiven myself for cheating on him. You know, so I had to forgive myself. I, I'm a love cripple. Um, I wrote an amends email to him. He didn't respond, but at least I cleaned my side of the street. Um, I have to learn to forgive myself. And... Um, So even though all these experiences and, you know, before recovery and while I'm sober was painful, it brought me closer to God. God used to be my, um, I didn't trust God before. I thought God was trying to punish me, but I realized God today is my best friend. And I'm grateful for the men and women in SA. Um, you know, I didn't trust anybody when I came in. Um, I'm really grateful for my brothers in the program. Um, you know, it, it's, and I can actually be friends with a man and not have lust involved, which is a miracle in itself. And doing service work has also kept me sober. You know, um, service work, sponsoring others, reaching out to other women. Um, I've done service work at the local and the international level. And, um, you know, one other thing, too, with, you know, ne negative things that happen, I think probably everyone experienced this, you know, almost two years ago when COVID hit, there was a lockdown and a lot, and a lot of the, the meetings, I didn't have meetings for it, almost a year, face to face. And, and you know, I, isolation for a sexaholic can be real bad because even if I don't physically act out, it's all, all the, uh, the fantasies in my mind, you know, and I had, to, and I had to stay at a hotel for a couple months um, by myself because my parents were scared that they were going to get COVID. Um, but the good thing that came out of that was all the zoom meetings. Now there's zoom meetings 24 seven, you know, and, and I've met even more people from around the world. Um, and, and, the, and then even some of the face-to-face the -face meetings I go to, I have the option to listen in on Zoom because it's a hybrid meeting. You know, so I am grateful for that. But um, 
you know, you know, just real briefly, you know, as a child, of course, I was programmed to be a sexaholic um, and to think that abuse was love. But now I can reprogram myself and realize that all of that is a lie. And I thought I was defined by my addiction and by the things I did, but I'm not. You know, I'm a woman of worth. I'm a child of God, you know, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I used to have this poster on my wall that said, just when the caterpillar thought its life was over, it became a beautiful butterfly. And if when you're a caterpillar, it is very painful and you don't think this is ever going to end and that you're going to die. And you think even without sex, you're going to die or a relationship. But, you know, the longer you stay sober, the more clarity you get. And I am becoming a Peter butterfly. So I'm just grateful for this program and grateful to be here. I pass. Let me know she's too loud. Thank you so much for sharing. I really, I really appreciate your vulnerability. If, if anything, the two promises that just jumped out at me, we will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. If you shut the door on it, you can't share this amazing life that you've been given. And no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. I, I don't even know, I don't know how to express my gratitude. Um, Thank you so much. It's not a You're question, welcome. but thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Nancy. Luke? Hi, Jean. Uh, this is Luke from Belgium. Thank you so much for your story and for your share. Um, I haven't met you before, so I'm, I'm really honored. And uh, you are a woman of worth and a child of God indeed. Um, and I can relate to the abuse, although I'm a man. Between age 10 and 13, seven persons went over my sexual boundaries, and two of them were women. The two, they were family members. And um, I'm, I'm damaged goods. Yeah. But fortunately, I can live, I have a program to live with it. Um, and my biggest struggles today are apart from temptations, which are always there, but are codependency and post-traumatic stress and just my mind, which isn't working well anymore, apparently. What are your biggest struggles today, Jean? Thank you. Um, you know, just like you, I, um, PTSD is a is, and depression is a big issue for me. Um, even though I take antidepressants, I suffer from depression on a daily basis, and it gets even worse in the winter. And I know if there's another lockdown, I'll, I'll be really depressed. But, but one thing that helps me with depression is reaching out to others. You know, a lot of times, like, of course, I don't feel like going to a meeting when I'm depressed. But my sponsor tells me, just move my muscles, go to a meeting, go, go meet a friend, even if I don't want to. And that does help. Um, I still suffer from PTSD. Um, it's not as bad as it used to. Sometimes I have nightmares still. I have to surrender that to God. You know, I have to write about it too. Um, sometimes just over, over the smallest things, I get paranoid. Like I wake up and I think I'm going to die today, you know. Or 
some, or I'm driving to work and something horrible is going to happen at work and I'm going to be fired, you know, but I can't always trust my thinking, you know, I have to um, ask God to change my perspective. So yeah, I think the depression and PTSD and just worrying too much. We're, it's codependency of worrying too much what other people think of me. Uh, that's it. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Jean. Thanks a lot. Lee? Jean, uh, this is Lee. Uh, what I want is a com- I want to give you a comment rather than a question. I think it was absolutely inspiring. I relate uh, with multiple addictions, chemical and behavioral, have uh, depression and seasonal affective disorder, trauma and PTSD, all of which I've had to recover from. But I think uh, the description of pain as useful uh, gives me the thought of that's why Bill Wilson wrote the big book. I was on page 124. He says it. And that is cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And I think that's what you're doing. And I think that's great. That's all. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. Esti? Hi, thank you so much. And thank you, God, for getting me to this meeting. Okay, so how were you, a question, how were you able to forgive your parents and even live with them? Sometimes I still wonder that myself. I have friends that ask me that question. Um, well, of course, when I, when I moved in with them, I, you know, I, I thought I'd lose my sobriety because I had so much resentment. Um, going to meetings every day really helped. Um, in my other um, 12-step program for uh, uh, trauma and codependency, there was uh, like a inventory with, with 12 different inventories, even PTSD inventory, relationship inventory. Um, in step five, you know, there was a lot of grief work involved. I had, I had to actually feel the grief. Like sometimes like I would like, let's say I'd replay an incident back in my mind and I'd pretend that person was there and I would tell them what I really think. And sometimes I would yell or cry. Um, I had to feel my feelings and get them out. Um, And I try to focus today on, on what they do do for me. I'm grateful that, I mean, if, if they were abusive today, I probably wouldn't live with them. They're not abusive to me, you know? Um, so it takes time. It's not like forgiveness, you know, happens overnight. And, you know, and sometimes they might say something that, or do something that might trigger me, but I, ha- but I have to pray for them. You know, the, the AA big book says perhaps those that wronged us are spiritually sick and they are spiritually second. Uh, they they probably were abused as children too. They they saw it as normal, as generational. So I can actually have empathy for them today. That's it. Thank you, Susie B. 
Thank you. Um, Jean, thank you so much for your share. I related to a lot of what you had to say. Um, and I, I loved what, I can't remember the words you used, but you talked about flirting. And I know that that was one of the big symptoms of my disease was uh, flirting uh, just as a way of, as a way of life. And I didn't, I had to learn when I was flirting. I didn't even get it. I didn't even know that I was flirting um, until I got into recovery. So I had, that was something I had to learn. And I forget how you said it, but it's something like, uh, it's not innocent flirting. And I know that people who don't have the, this disease can participate in innocent flirting, but I can't. Uh, because I'm a sexaholic and lustaholic. And um, yeah, I really appreciate that part of what you had to share. Um, I think that I heard you refer to your sponsor as a he, and I just wondered if you would talk a little more. Time. Thank you. I'm wondering, my question is, did, did you have a male sponsor? How was that for you? And was it because there were no women available? Or what was your experience around that? And how was that? Thanks. Um, well, I've had the same male sponsor for the past 11 years. I don't think it works for everybody. And I can see why it's not recommended, especially if, um, if there's lust involved. He's, he's like tw over 25 years older than me. So um, it, help, it helped me trust men more. Um, I never had like, you know, of course, in your addiction, you, th you think all there is is, is the sexual intimacy. You know, but there's the emotional and spiritual and intimacy too. You know, I could be a hundred percent open and honest and not be judged. You know, so at the time I, I chose him as a sponsor because there was no other women. Um, and at the time, I didn't even know, there was, I didn't even know about phone meetings or um, you know any any women's lists. So there were a few women in the program, but they didn't have that much sobriety. And actually, they had him as the same sponsor. So I've had a good experience, but uh, but I know it's not for everybody. Thanks, Jean. Claudia? Thank you. Thank you, Jean. I'm really touched. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you for your openness and sharing all this with us and that's really helpful. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to ask you, you talked about the steps, meetings for trauma and codependency. I don't, I never heard about it. Well, there's, there's, there's different 12-step programs for codependency. I do adult children of alcoholics, but my parents are alcoholics, but it's for anyone who comes from a dysfunctional family. But there's also Codependence Anonymous and yeah. Al-Anon, too. Yeah, I, mean, I, like, I like adult children of alcoholics because you cannot go back to the trauma in your childhood, too. Mm -hmm. It's more in-depth. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I thought maybe there is someone really on on this topic connected trauma and codependency, but it's everywhere. It's in every in every yeah. I think. 
it's at the core of my addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really would like to ask you if I can have your phone number. Okay. I'm willing to, yeah, to be open for, if you're open for, for a call. Yeah, thank you. Yes, yeah, send me um, a message in the chat and I'll respond with my number. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Claudia. You can send your phone number to one of the hosts and we can forward it to Jean. Um, okay. Thank you. I think Greg? you have my number. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Greg, yes? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, gosh, my heart just goes out to you, Jean. You know, uh, Advice we listen to, but pain we obey. You know, that's something that I always hear. And, uh, you know, pain really did get me into SA. And it was hard to face in the beginning, all that pain. And a lot for me, you know, I listened to your story. And it's, a wonder, it's no wonder you grew up to be a sexaholic. And for me, mine was more self-inflicted. It was some bad choices I made but when I listen to your story, it almost sounds like, you know, you were, you really didn't have a choice almost is the way it sounded to me. But uh, anyway, it was, uh, you know, and now you're making the most of it. And I heard somebody else's comment about, you know, you were dealt a, a, a bad deck or whatever, but you're making the most of it now. And you're, doing a lot of positive things and helping other people. And that's why I come to these meetings. Time. Have people convert their, their lives, changing their lives and helping other, making something good out of something bad and helping other people. So thank you so much for your story. It was really inspiring, Jean. You're welcome. Rachna? You can ask your question, Rachna. Um, okay, I'm gonna ask you later again, uh, if that's okay. Daniel, you can go first. Thanks so much for sharing. I guess I'm just curious, how um, has your connection to God evolved over time. I know you shared some about it early and just curious how that progressed through it all. Thanks. Um, well, it has strengthened over time. You know, even the, even the past two years, almost two years with COVID, it's strengthened, it's, it's strengthened even more. Um, you know, when I became more depressed, I reached out to God more. Um, you know, before, before I go to bed every night, I, I, tell God everything that I'm grateful for. Um, even if I had a bad day and I, and, you know, I used to just pray to God like in the morning or the evening, but now it's like throughout the day, you know, like last week when I was worried about something with work, um, I thought I was going to be fired or written up. I kept praying about it with God all day, you know, because sometimes like I could, you know, as addicts would catastrophize things. Uh, so I had to bring God into everything. Um, so that's my answer. Thanks for sharing. 
Rachna? Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jean. Amazing power pack share. Uh, I'm overwhelmed with the way you uh, dealt with so many things in your life, so many addictions, so many things, and you're still sober and sitting between us. I'm really a surprise, but 12-step uh, works for sure. Uh, it proves because you are with us. So my question is uh, very straight. Um, I don't know uh, how it will go, but I really need to understand how you dealt with shame if if it happened or were you straight in life that whatever it came and you just went by or you had to deal with that uh, topic. Uh, I will really appreciate to hear more about that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your question. You know, I think that the main feeling with my with this addiction for me is shame. You know, I felt a lot of shame being a sexaholic. Uh, you know, and even the things I did in my addiction, the amount of men I was with, the cheating, and so forth. Um, I I did writing about shame. And I listened to speakers and, and read books on shame also. Um, you know, like they say, the difference between guilt and shame. Like I might feel guilt over something that I did. Um, like, let's say I felt guilty for cheating on my partner. But then shame, I internalize it. And I, and I think that I'm defined by that incident, you know. Um, so... Learning to forgive myself, that takes time too, of course. Um, and asking God for help with my character defects and with my shame, you know, because like even like how I perceive myself a lot of times that you had that negative self-talk. But, you know, a lot of times that's not reality. Um, I have to ask, I have to ask God to help change my perception and to help me with my, my issues in life. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That really helps. Writing uh, is really helpful. But I will be going through writing in step four, right? I'm step. I'm on step zero right now with my sponsor. Well, even if you're not at step four yet, you could still write about things that you felt sh shame over. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, that really helps. Thank you so much. People with less than 30 days of sobriety can ask a question now as well. And I have a question too. Uh, Jean, thank you so much for your share. It it was kind of like a 95% my story. It was really weird how much it was my story that you were telling. Um, and I have a question about, and I'm so sorry that you've been raped, by the way. I, I first want to say that like that's that's an awful thing that happened. And uh, it happened to me twice in uh, 2008 and in 2000, 2007 and 2018. And um, I've always felt, and I still have difficulties with it because I dissociated from it. Like I can talk about it really rationally without any feelings. Um, and I think it's now for a few weeks that I'm starting to have emotions about it. So that's a really good thing because it always was like something that happened to another person and I did not feel a thing about it. And 
I, I'm starting to feel something about it. My sponsor suggested me to write a letter to myself, to, to the person back then, you know, and be kind to myself because I have no fault in it or anything like that. But I want to ask you how you overcame it and like how you you dealt with it or, or Time. now. Thank you. Or you have any suggestions about that? Because it is a traumatizing event, you know? It is traumatizing. Yeah. And, and um, well, I was raped as a teenager, but then my, my, right before I came into SA, you know, my ex, when he had tried to kill me, he raped me also. It's kind of hard when it's someone you love to th or think that you love. Um, and I think it's normal to blame yourself. I had to go through a lot of counseling in my 20s and 30s. Um, I've done a lot of writing on it too. And you, you, you just brought up about writing a letter to yourself. Um, I just did that with my ACA sponsors. I, I wrote a letter to my inner teenager. My inner teenager's name is Millie. I'm like, Millie, you're not at fault. It was like having a conversation back and forth. Like, like, you know, her back then I'm, I'm worthless. I deserved it. I'm like, no, you don't deserve it. You're a woman of worth, you know? And even though that happened, You're not at fault. You're not defined by it. Um, you know, because even if you don't, even if you go for years and don't think about it, you know, it could come up with your addiction and, and your behaviors, like the victim mentality. I think that's probably why I was with abusive men too. Um, you know, but I can change that cycle. So, um, yeah. But you definitely can't get through it yourself. And you can you can journal about it too. Okay. Thank you so much for your answer. I'm sorry what happened to you too. Thank you. Thank you for your answer. Louise. Hi Jean. Um we've been, you know, talking for several quite a few years now and you've been um a great support. Um And your share was brilliant. And I've definitely seen you grow a lot over the years. I uh, just wanted to thank you for your share. Thank you. And I appreciate you and your friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Christina? Buddy? Thank you, Natalie. I'm Buddy. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Thank you, Jean. Um, as you started to share, my body started getting triggered by my own PTSD and trauma. The things you spoke of, um, the, the obsession, it was over well over six months before the obsession started to release from me. Um, I was 21 years sexually sober in SA when I, I came to Madrid for the international convention. And it was at that point that all of the trauma and PTSD that I had managed to keep contained for years and years finally started to break through. Um, I started to get 
through the, I've been depressed, sometimes can't get off the floor my entire life. Time. And I'm going to keep speaking because I need to. I um, couldn't figure out everyone else how they could get the joy of living when I could not get that. Um, uh, sponsored men have the best sponsors, but I couldn't get through this physical part of the disease. And Roy talked about that, becoming disconnected. And that's what I had done. I had completely disconnected from the physical. Um, this past year, I've been doing intense work. And this past year, I've been, I'm, I'm 23 years sexually sober, December 2nd, 97, however many years that makes. And this past year has been the hardest year of my life. Not that I want to act out. I struggle with not wanting to die and not wanting to commit suicide um, is my daily struggle. Um, and I refuse to quit. And I refuse to quit because I see other people around me who are doing just what you're doing, putting one foot in front of the other and absolutely refusing to act out. And I need this program and this fellowship. My whole belief in God, I had to throw away and find a whole new God that worked for me. Um, and I can feel it releasing from my body now. So now I'm ready to stop sharing. Thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I can relate. Christina? Hi. I'm Christina Sexton Lasterdick from Germany. Oh, now I am so touched. Uh, uh, thank you, Jean, for your share. I identified a lot and I wanted to tell you that because. When I am a speaker, I need to know that there is someone who identifies. I know this. <clears throat> How can somebody love me? Undestructive relationship every develops in abusive, suicidal. I did not eat anymore. I tried SLAA. I went to incest survivors. I was raped two times. I didn't trust anybody. I was a victim, but I was also a perpetrator. Time. <laughs> My question is, if you can tell me what is the best in sponsor, being a sponsor for you. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question again? What is the best to be a sponsor for you? Okay. Well, yeah. Um, you know, when I when I first became a sponsor, I didn't think I would be a good sponsor. You know, I think you know the negative self talk. You know, but reaching out to other women and helping them really helps me get out of myself, and I realize I'm not so different. You know, because I thought like even when I came in the program in the first couple of years. You know, I compared my acting out behaviors or, or past to others, and I thought, well, I'm I'm a lot worse 
than, than you or whatever. Um, but we're not all so different. You know, we, ha we have the similarities too. It doesn't matter what type of acting out. It's the lust that's behind this addiction. And um, helps me not like, it even helps with my depression too. Um, being a sponsor uh, helps me get out of myself. Sometimes I, I realize that my, my life isn't as bad as I think it is. You know, when I hear what other sponsees and, and recovering friends are going through, you know, so I, I am grateful being a sponsor and it's helped me a lot with my recovery. Thank you. We have time for one last share from Juan Carlos and maybe Jean, if you can stay in the parking lot afterwards, uh, I don't know. Um, I can stay for 15 minutes. Okay, perfect. So if anyone else has a question or a share or anything like that, you can ask Jean in the parking lot. Thank you so much. Uh, Juan Carlos. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jean. A very touchy, um, very moving uh, share for me. Uh, I have experienced trauma in my childhood, in my early childhood. And you know, uh, only a few uh, a few weeks ago, with my ACA sponsor, we discovered that uh, my main uh, drug, uh, I suppose, it was uh, guilt. Uh, I felt guilty of being born, of, be of having been born in my family, because as a consequence, my my parents need to be uh, together. They they must be together because I was I was I have a, I have been born in my childhood. When, when I didn't understood, understand what happened. And as a result, uh, I became shameful of my family, of others, and especially of myself. So working the steps, uh, working in both uh, fellowship, I have found this, this origin, this source of my problem. And I would like to ask Time. you, uh, thank you. Yes, I would like to ask you, uh, how have you been able to forgive yourself? But for me, it's very difficult sometimes. I still attach uh, to the guilt. How, how, how have you been able to do it? Thank you. Um, well, I didn't forgive myself right away. You know, um, I, I suppressed the memories from my childhood for like 35 years, 36 years. And when I came back, it was like so overwhelming. And the memories I did have, I, I didn't, I think what I felt guilt or shame over was that I never, I didn't say no. And, um, and that I liked the attention, you know, because I, I was, I was molested by a friend of the family also. Um, you know, but it was that, especially as a child that need to be loved or validated, feeling like I had a lot of learning problems as a child. Um, I didn't have that many friends, and I, I just craved that love, um, you know. But I realize now that isn't love; uh, it's control. And I didn't really know any better, you know, when I when I didn't say no as a child. Um, I didn't think it was an option to say no. I think I thought like if I said no. Um, I would be punished or not listened to anyway, you know, so, you know, that fed into my codependency, you know, 
any, anything to please my father or my parents. Um, you know, when I was a child, too, I told my mother what happened. My father did. And she didn't believe me. She thought it was just a dream. It was a fantasy. It never happened. And that's what I connect more with in my childhood than the abuse is the fantasy. Because I think I, I, I believe what my mother told me. And then it was a fantasy because I had disassociated when he'd walk into the room. So, um, just, um, you know, especially as a child, like if, like if a child, like, let's say uh, uh, a seven-year-old came up to you and said, oh, I'm being, you know, molested or abused, whatever. It's not like you're going to tell them it's your fault. You have to have empathy for yourself, you know? So, um, and I had to go through some intense therapy too. Um, and I did, and I did a lot of, uh, you know, writing with ACA it, with, with the trauma and the abuse. Um, it was like a shame inventory and a sexual abuse inventory, you know? So sometimes you think like the, 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 the pain from the past or the memory is going to kill you or you're, you just have to numb out. You can't survive it. But but you can with God's help and, and with, you know, reaching out to others. Thank you very much. Yeah. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.